you're standing on the deck and you've got a muffin in one hand and a cup of coffee in the other and you're seeing the faces of the people around you you're seeing the water you're seeing the islands you'll feel a little dampness in the air a little moisture landing around you and on your clothes and on your shoulders you'll smell the wood smoke coming from the galley and you might smell some baked goods some bread or something cooking down there You'll hear the sound of the waves lapping on the side of the boat. You'll hear the breeze through the sails. You might see some seagulls or some osprey or a bald eagle flying through the air following us. The seagulls like to follow us at times. Then you'll be seeing islands, the green of the islands standing out against the blue of the water. The sky, clear and sunny. Maybe you'll see another windjammer down the bay and remind you of how cool what you're doing is. I'm Dylan Thuris, and this is Atlas Obscura, a celebration of the world's strange, incredible, and wondrous places. This episode was made in partnership with the main office of tourism. If you ever read about pirates or high seas adventures when you were a kid, if you ever dreamt about the ocean breeze through your hair, wind catching sails, the horizon opening out in front of you, we have got the place for you. It's a place where the romanticism of sailing still lives on. Today, we're going to Maine and back in time to this other era of travel. We're taking a trip on the oldest commercial sailing vessel in the United States. All aboard after this. It's a warm summer morning at the docks in Camden, Maine, and around 20 people are getting ready to set sail on a ship called the Louis R. French. They're going to spend the next few days sailing all around Penobscot Bay, exploring coves and islands hidden along Maine's craggy coast, and then spending the nights aboard this ship. It is an authentic sailing experience, one that comes from a different time. That also means, of course, that the ship has no quick push-button start. There are not motors to run this ship. And getting it going requires a little bit of work. Heave! 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 So close! Heave! Heave! Come on, boy! Ten more feet! Heave! See up there? It's a heavy job. The sails weigh a lot. We try to get everybody that's willing to to help us raise the sail. Get everybody in a line, heaving and hoeing, pulling on a rope. This is Becky Wright. She's the captain of the French. Once we get the sails up, that feeling of sudden quiet is absolute magic. It's like a weight drops off. You know, you're off the dock, you're out, you're on the adventure. You know, you're, you've made it to where you're supposed to be. Captain Becky knows the Louis R. French inside and out. She knows how to anticipate its movements in all sorts of situations, the way it is going to behave in all sorts of weather. It is important because the ship does not have an engine on board. It is a creature of the wind. The sails move around quite a bit, just in a, in a small way, often. We're rocking in the waves a little bit as we move ahead, so the sails move a little bit too. It's a almost a living organism, like it's breathing. 
a living organism. That is how Captain Becky thinks of the French. And not just because of all those small movements. You get to know a boat and you get to know its personality. I really love the French's personality. <laughs> um, I think the French's energy is a little bit mischievous. Not like in a mean way, not in a malicious way at all. Just in a, you know, out to have a good time. Uh, it's very easy to heal her over and get water on the deck. And I think the French really enjoys that. Um, <laughs> you know, like sailing the way she was meant to be sailed, like sailing hard, have a good time. Like, I think that's the, the spirit of the French. <laughs> and well, yes, Captain Becky is, of course, steering the French and directing it where she wants to go. The French, as she tells it, has a say in the matter as well. Maybe it's a, a spirituality thing on my side, but I feel like the French has a hand in its own fortune, kind of. It's always had relatively young captains with a lot of energy and enthusiasm. Like, I feel like the French knows what it wants and knows what kind of person it wants for a captain. Sailing on a tall ship may seem a little bit old-fashioned. That is because it is. The Louis R. French is 152 years old. That means she's over 120 years older than her captain, Captain Becky, who's not even 30 yet. Becky grew up in New Hampshire. She was inland, but as a kid, she just fell in love with these swashbuckling high seas adventure stories. I read a lot of the Patrick O'Brien books and the Hornblower books. Uh, my father kept putting books into my hands and I kept reading them. Definitely the romantic in me, like reached out kind of for the water. I knew I wanted to be on the water and that was the big thing, just the feeling of moving through the water, moving through the air, like effortlessly, you know, it feels like you're flying, you know, just, just you're moving and it's silent and it doesn't feel like it should be possible, but you're doing it. Really, I assumed that tall ships and historic vessels were gone, that it wasn't really a thing people did anymore. But then when I was about 15, one of my friends got a job on one of the tall ships out in the Great Lakes, and that just blew my mind that it was still a thing you could do. Becky scoured old sailing catalogs looking for jobs. And when she was 17, her dad dropped her off in Camden. I just remember my first night sleeping on the boat. It was, you know, early April. It was freezing cold. You know, there was no plumbing. Nothing was hooked up. So I had to, like, go up to the public landing to use the restroom and that kind of thing. And just, like, the feeling. Like, I was so excited, like, just being surrounded by this thing that had been there for 140 years at that point. Just this ancient to me thing you know and I just remember writing in my journal like I'm on a ship I'm on a ship I'm sleeping on a ship tonight Becky worked her way up the seafaring food chain she started out as a messmate or a cook's assistant then she was a cook then a deckhand and finally she was ready to get her captain's license and a couple of years ago she heard about this couple with an old 19th century ship called the Louis R. French, and they were looking to retire. They were hoping to find the right person to carry on their love of sailing this vessel. Or maybe, just maybe, the ship chose Becky. It seemed like the perfect opportunity. Everything just kind of fell into place. Everything came up at the right time. 
on board the Louis R. French, sometimes it can feel like life moves a little more slowly. Since you're beholden to the wind, there's no need to rush. There's just a feeling that things take the time they need to take. And it means work that could be done with a motor on other ships is done by hand. Things like raising the anchor, or even just making dessert. After a long day of exploring on land, Captain Becky often invites guests to help her churn ice cream. It's not as easy as pulling some haagen out of the freezer, but she says it's a really great way for people to share stories, to get to know each other, just a chance to break the ice cream. You get it. It does feel uh, like stepping back in time, but it's also not some phony reproduction. When you sail on the Louis R. French, you are sailing on a piece of Maine's history. The Louis R. French was built in Maine. It's been homeported in Maine all its life. Our boat especially has some very deep ties to this area. The French was built in 1871 in the little village of Christmas Cove, just about 40 miles from Camden. Three brothers, all last name French, built a ship and they named it after their dad. And there's kind of a family joke about that, which probably isn't true. But uh, according to maritime uh, lore, if you name a vessel after a living person, that person is supposed to supply the boat with a few things like signal flags, a couple of incidentals. Um, the family story is that um, Louis, our French, kept promising to help out his sons financially with the building of the boat and never did and never did. So as kind of a gotcha, his sons named the boat after him. Luckily, they had other ways to make money. When the French was built, there would have been thousands of ships just like her sailing around Penobscot Bay, sailing down to New York or to Boston. In the days before the steam engine, this was how cargo got moved. They were the semis of the era. They would cut ice around here and ship it south or store it for the summer. Um, there was a lot of lumber that moved out of Maine and down the coast and even around Maine to feed like the lime kilns. But she carried all kinds of things, grain, flour, whatever was needed from port to port. For nearly 40 years, ships like the French were really the only game in town. But then, in the early 1900s, things started to change. For one thing, engines started becoming a lot more widespread. And then the Louis R. French in particular hit some bad luck. Um, the Louis R. French had an accident at the dock. The full story. <laughs> um, they were carrying a cargo of bricks. Then they were on the dock in Belfast, Maine. And they had a gasoline-powered um, engine to help raise the anchor, a gasoline-powered windlass. And they filled it with gasoline. And then they had lunch. The captain and his father sat down in the galley for some lunch. And then they had a smoke after lunch. And the captain's father threw down his match. And uh, the boat caught on fire and sank at the dock <laughs> with a cargo of bricks in Belfast. That could have been the end of her. After the disastrous fire, the Louis R. French was brought back to life. But only kind of, as this shadow of its former self. Its masts and sails were all torn down. And it became horror of all horrors. It was a motorboat. For about 50 years, it worked for a sardine cannery in Lubeck. 
and it would just carry tin and canned sardines and whatever materials to the cannery and then out to the wider world as a motorboat. And we've got some pictures and you wouldn't recognize it um, from what she is today. But then in the 1970s, a man named John Foss came to the rescue. He was a young Coast Guard veteran and he had a real passion for maritime history. And he decided that as a passion project, he would try to reconstruct the oldest ship he could find. And that ship was the Louis R. French, the only surviving main-built schooner from the 1800s. Um, he put new masts in. He had new sails built. He rearranged the interior to change it from carrying cargo um, to carrying people. Becky didn't know John personally, but she says it takes a particular kind of person to take on a project of that scale. But she also says that maybe this was just the French's way of finding another good caretaker. Anybody that gets involved in wooden boats has to be a romantic at heart because it's not the most efficient thing. You know, there's two months of work ahead of the sailing season every year. Two months of painting and varnishing and just yearly upkeep can be a lot if it's not something that you love. So for John Foss and for all the owners of the French over the years, um, there's been a lot of emotional attachment. And that's been a lot of what has saved her over the years. You know, there's always been somebody to care. Today, of course, that person is Captain Becky. But it could also be you. The French is part of the Maine Windjammers Association. It's a group of historic tall ships that take visitors on sailing adventures, helping to keep this Maine tradition alive. Trips on the Louis R. French range from three to six nights, so you've got some time to kind of settle into this sailing experience. And it begins on the docks in Camden after enjoying a breakfast of baked goods made in the ship's own wood stove. We just go where the wind takes us, sometimes north, sometimes east, sometimes south. The coastline is it's really complex. Like There's a lot of inlets and coves and nooks and islands and just really neat places to explore. Like I've been sailing on the coast of Maine, mainly in Penobscot Bay for the last 12 years, and there's anchorages I haven't anchored in yet. Like there's places I haven't been in this, you know, 30 mile by 30 mile area of the coastline. You see islands where there's nothing but rocks and then you see islands that look like they came out of Scotland. And then you see islands that are just covered in trees. And, you know, there's a couple islands that still have old growth forests on them that are bird sanctuaries. And, you know, you go ashore and, you know, maybe there's a bit of a path beaten out. But you could be the only people that have ever been there. And it, it feels intimate. And really, I know I've been saying magic a lot, but it's magical. Like, it's just a feeling that you don't find elsewhere. Not that you're alone, but just that you're in a very special place. If you're ready to hit the high seas, you can find out more about the Lewis R. French and the Maine Windjammers Association online. We will post a link to both in the episode description. It's just an incredibly romantic way to travel. And if you're looking for other things to do in Maine while you're there, you can always head to visitmaine.com to find out more. Our podcast is a co-production of Atlas Obscura and Stitcher Studios. 
This episode was produced by Amanda McGowan. The production team includes Doug Baldinger, Chris Naka, Camille Stanley, Manolo Morales, Baudelaire, Gabby Gladney. Our technical director is Casey Holford. This episode was sound designed and mixed by Luce Fleming. If you want to learn more, be sure to visit atlasobscura.com. There's a link in our episode description. Our theme and end credit music is by Sam Tyndall. I'm Dylan Thuris, wishing you all the wonder in the world. I'll see you next time.